Welcome to the podcast channel of the East Bay Unity Intergroup of Overeaters Anonymous. The opinions expressed here are those of individual members and do not represent OA as a whole. For more information about our intergroup, please visit our website at eastbayoa.org. All right. Good morning, everyone. It's it's so nice to see all your faces. Um, oh, gosh, I feel a little nervous. Um, and, and welcome, Joe. I'm glad you're here. I'm glad you made it. Um, it's, it's no small thing to come into this program. Um, uh, so the sixth tradition, I think I'll take the last five minutes to talk about that. And I'm going to take the first chunk to qualify and tell my story, partly because, you know, I've, I've come to this meeting for like seven or eight years and I've never spoken here before. And I consider this my home group. Um, so this actually means a lot to me to be able to share with you all today. Um, so, um, I didn't come to 12 Steps through OA. I came through another program. Um, that being said, I have discovered that food is absolutely my primary drug of choice. It eclipses all else. Um, and it has since I was a very, very little girl. Um, I grew up in a home that, you know, we looked pretty good from the outside. I used to think, gosh, I really sort of won the parent lottery. Um, I idealized my parents for a long time. Um, but my dad was an alcoholic and my mom was a codependent. And if you scratched the veneer, the shiny veneer underneath, there was a lot of chaos and a, a lot of preoccupation. There wasn't a lot of resource to go around. Um, you know, my mom was obsessed with my dad and my dad was obsessed with alcohol. And, um, and my brother turned out to be very seriously mentally ill and required a lot of resources, um, financial, time, emotional in the family. And so I was the well sibling and I flew under the radar. You know, I, I was perfectionistic and wanted to sort of compensate for um, the chaos by, by organizing and keeping things strict and steady and, and reliable. And uh, the primary comfort that I had was food. I really um, leaned on it starting, I can remember, I think I was probably about eight when I first really started to eat secretly, compulsively and secretly. Um, we had just moved from Michigan to Los Angeles, which was a shocking, shocking change. And um, my dad was off and away on business and my mom was trying to adjust and keep the household together. <laughs> And um, yeah, I would sneak into the kitchen. I, um, I'd sneak into the kitchen and I'd also steal money from my mom's purse and take it to school to buy things from the cafeteria. And I remember being caught doing that. Um, I had a little pink short sleeved dress. You know, here I was in first grade and it had a pocket on the right breast and 
and in the pocket I had shoved two dollars and I went to find my mom one morning and asked her um, you know how much she thought something was at the cafeteria and she looked down and saw the money in my breast pocket and said oh you planning to buy something and I was so ashamed and that like that that's the first memory I have related to shame and, and my compulsive eating. And they were so, they're so intertwined for me. This disease for me really thrives in the dark. Um, when I don't talk about my um, cravings or my compulsive eating, uh, it escalates. And the medicine seems to really be connection with you all, connection with a higher power and connection from myself. Um, I still find that I flee, I try to escape my feelings. I'm, I'm very tenderhearted and I'm sort of especially tenderhearted this, this week. Um, but it, life is so uncomfortable for me as somebody who's so sensitive and, um, so approval seeking and food kind of like grounds me and, and buffers me against some of it. It just brings it down a few notches. Um, so that's a substance that has really worked for me and yet it really doesn't. Um, for me, I think what really brought me into the program was um, restriction, you know, and, and we talk about that in here. Like, I don't know if I'm a compulsive overeater as much as I am just a compulsive eater because my, I think my go-to is to restrict um, and, and starve myself, you know, not eat lunch until 4 p.m. and go for a bike ride and do a heavy workout beforehand and like be so hungry that there's no room in there for any emotion or any contact with myself uh, or, or anyone else. It, I mean, it really numbs me out to do that. And so, um, the desperation associated with that, you know, the, the, the headaches, the demoralization, and the fact that it led to binges later, really intense binges, it would amplify them um, just in ways I, I, I couldn't even imagine. Um, all of that, all those consequences, I think, are, are what eventually propelled me to OA. And I came in and I was so angry about being here. And you guys were so tolerant. I mean, it was incredible. Um, but I think, you know, I think back to that time and that anger. And, you know, OA and recovery was a real threat to my disease. Um, I mean, God, don't get between a food addict and her food. Like you're going to be annihilated and, and OA was getting between me and my next fix. And so there was all this upheaval and, um, yeah, I was very, very angry, uh, very disappointed to have to come to OA. And, um, it took a long time to settle into it for me. I know a lot of folks say, oh, I got, got to OA and it was like coming home, um, that wasn't my experience. It was really hard for a couple years. I, I dipped in, I dipped out, um, didn't get a sponsor for a long time, didn't work the steps, um, remained angry, continued to restrict and binge and be in that cycle, really be in my disease. Um, 
but eventually I, you know, I just kept coming back. I think that's the, the magic. Like if you, when I put in a little bit of effort, it really returns to me. And, and I was consistent in my attendance. I, I came, um, I think it was like every other week for a couple of years before getting a sponsor. And finally I decided today when I go to the meeting, I'm going to ask someone to be my sponsor. And I kind of had my eye on a couple people and, and um, I took the plunge. I'm so glad that I did. I'm, I'm currently on step seven. I've been on step seven, seven for a couple months and um, it's so subtle. It's really tricky. Um, you know, step seven is all about stepping, being willing to step into a new way of being. And I cling to my old ways of being. They, they're like clothes. Um, and I don't want to be stripped of my clothes, my, my coping. Um, because, you know, those, those things are there for good reason. They were adaptive ones, even if they're no longer helpful. Um, so I'm working on that. You know, I, I pray in the morning. I pray throughout the day. I ask to be of service. I ask to be receptive to a new way of being. Um, and I think, you know, I think I'm seeing a shift actually. I'm seeing progress. Um, I'm always seeing progress. I think the biggest piece of progress, um, at least recently for me is that I, I've noticed I have a little more humility. I'm not playing God. I'm not as controlling as I have been in the past. And it's been really hard. My brother um, had a, a suicide attempt about a month ago and very nearly died. And I've had to thread the needle of like, doing what I can to help coordinate care and letting go of the results and, and remembering I'm not his higher power. And that's a really scary proposition because I want to control it because I want a specific outcome. And this has been very humbling, very hard. And, uh, I'm so glad I have my faith and support and sponsors and a therapist. And the program has given all of that to me. Sorry, I haven't talked about this with more than one person at a time. And it's speaking it to you guys, like makes it even more real. And there's so much grief coming up for me. And before I would eat, I would eat to escape this. And I don't have to, I can actually, I can tolerate this now. God, that's, and that's such progress for me that I have the capacity to like sit with these intense feelings and not medicate with food. So there's that piece. What else do I want to talk about? Um, I think I want to talk about recovery from sort of the, the poison I was given as a kid about body, 
and how a, a woman's body should look. Um, I grew up, my, my dad was very uh, specific about how he thought I should look and very outspoken about it. He once said to me, it's as important to me that you are well-educated, uh, that you are thin as you are well-educated. And, um, ooh, that makes me so mad to, to think about that now. Um, such poison for a teenage girl. So, um, so damaging. Um, and I think, like, I've been trying to create a practice of gratitude around my body and, and how it works. I mean, it's incredible, too. I, I fed it so much. I restricted so much. Um, that that restrict and binge cycle was so harsh. And it was, my body was so resilient through that. I mean, it's really kind of incredible what it's endured. And so I, I try to practice gratitude for um, my body and its capacity and its resilience. And someone suggested to me that I find one body part that I really like, that I can appreciate and attend to it. And so I consistently lotion my feet, a very pretty feet and they do a lot for me and so I lotion them and I coo with them and I put socks on them and I treat them really well and I feel that after you know four years of this or whatever um, it's generalizing like I, I have so much more appreciation for my body and I still have that poison around body image um, but I'm aware of it and I'm skeptical of it. And I, in some moments have a choice whether or not to believe it or choose a new way of being. Um, so that's, that's another gift of this program. Um, today, God willing, I make it to the end of the day without sugar. It'll be 487 days without sugar. So for me, my abstinence is, no confections. I cannot eat confections moderately, so I don't eat them at all. Um, it's also eating punctually. I eat breakfast by 8.15. I eat lunch or a snack by 12.15. If I have a snack, then I definitely have lunch by 2. Um, and dinner I try to have by 6.30 p.m. And um, that really works for me. That structure really works for me. It prevents me from starving myself and then overeating later. It cuts off the cycle. And so I've been doing that for a few years too. And it's added this like stability um, for me that uh, I, I never really have had. Um, I think the next step for me is going to be um, monitoring my portions more and also eating nothing in secrecy. <laughs> because I still notice that I'll like sneak things. I have this like really powerful addict tendency to like want to pull a fast one. And I, and it's not just with food. Like I want to like break all the rules and, but like do it stealthily and, and get away with it, like pull off a heist. And I do that with food still. And it's not, um, it doesn't feel good. It feels isolating. It feels like the disease is acting up. Um, so I think that's the next thing for me to address. And um, it's nice to say it out loud, out loud. I have some accountability to you guys now. Pause and think for a minute. Let myself have a minute.
well, I guess I'll shift gears. That was an uplifting little tune, Lori. I like that. Um, so I should say that I'm in the midst of studying for my licensing exam, which is tomorrow morning at 8 a.m. I've been studying for the last like three months for it. It's like, it's kind of like the bar, but for psychologists. And um, so I'm a little, you know, I'm, I'm very, as I said, very tenderhearted right now. I'm also a little, little foggy. Um, but last weekend I pulled out the OA 12 and 12 and looked at tradition six and kind of got acquainted with it. And I marked a couple spots that I wanted to share. Um, and I don't remember at all what they say. So let's find out. Okay. So tradition six, which Lori read at the beginning is an OA group ought never endorse finance or lend OA name to any related facility or outside enterprise, lest problems of money, property, and prestige divert us from our primary purpose, primary purpose. So this is, these are the two paragraphs that really stood out to me. The sixth tradition helps OA groups fulfill our primary purpose of carrying the OA message. If meeting time is taken up with pitches for religious groups or other 12-step programs, if newcomers can't tell the difference between outside literature and OA literature at meetings, if members put their phone numbers on OA telephone lists only to be bothered by sales calls, the OA message of recovery soon gets lost. Those who suffer from the misery of, misery of compulsive eating need to hear about the solution found in working the 12 steps during our meetings and phone calls. They also need to know that there is no strings, there are no strings attached, no gimmicks, no uh, stockholders demanding that money be made. OA's lack of attachment to any kind of outside enterprise gives our fellowship a marvelous freedom. We operate with a minimum of worry about funding, administrative problems, or the success and failure of non-OA ventures. By steering clear of any such affiliations, OA groups can concentrate on recovery from compulsive eating instead of on problems associated with money, property, and prestige, which cause so much conflict in the world around us. So I love this. I love this idea. I think the traditions really support the, the program, the overarching program, the way that the steps support me in my recovery. And they make this sustainable. So, you know, I, I just, these two paragraphs sort of bring to mind um, the two recovery slogans, first things first and keep it simple. Like this is so simplifying. And I remember when I first got to OA, I thought to myself, this is so raggle straggle. It feels really wobbly. Like, shouldn't this be endorsed by the F FDA or like a group of doctors or something? Like this is, this is wild that it's so loose. Um, and thinking about it now, thank, thank God it isn't. Can you guys imagine if we were like affiliated with Weight Watchers or something or like some group like that endorsed us? Whew, I think we'd be really beholden and we'd lose, lose sight of the primary purpose, which is to carry the message and to recover ourselves. So those, I mean, I think that's the, 
that's what I wanted to cover for tradition six. Um, I'll also say that I think it goes both ways. Like I don't have to, I was talking to someone earlier, I don't have to put my stamp of recovery on everything I do. The way that outside enterprises don't put their stamp on OA. And I'm really going through this at work right now. I work in, um, at Kaiser in the addiction medicine and recovery services department. And I'm so glad that I am acquainted with 12 step. It's been a tremendous boon to me in my work and it's helped my patients. Uh, and I also have been wrestling with disclosure. Like when is it potentially helpful to the person I'm working with? Um, do I need to put my stamp, my recovery stamp on the work that we're doing? Um, and I don't know the answer. I don't know the answer, but I think there's some wisdom in um, tradition six. I can draw on this and, you know, keep, keep my focus to the primary purpose of that work. And, and that's really to help the person before me and, and meet them where they are, not, not get myself too mixed up in, um, in their, their recovery. So I think I'll leave it there. I guess that's, I'm very punctual. Um, it's really nice to be here and um, to share my story with you. Again, it really, it really touches me. Um, you guys are my family in a huge way. You're my recovery family. I rely on you. So thank you for my recovery. <laughs>